Now podcast. I'm Tim Malloy. I'm Matt Donnelly. And with us this week is a very special guest. So special. El Mayimbi, a heroic enforcer. Is that how you say that? Is it? Is that I how you say it? I thought it was El Mayimbi. Let's say, let's say his name first. Umberto Gonzalez, Gonzalez, also known as El Mayimbi. El Mayimbi, not Mayimbi. Mayimbi. Like Mayimbiolic? Yeah, like <laughs> Mayimbiolic. What does Mayimbi mean? Insane Mayimbi is Dominican slang for the man. Like the, the man. man, the man, like the cool guy, yeah. you know. So yeah. the, the man, the man, the I, cool I love guy. The <laughs> Umberto Gonzalez is here with us today because he is the rap's resident comic book expert, fanboy in chief. What yes, are the other? He's my beloved coworker on our film team here. Oh, that's oh, true. Um, I mean, it does so much more than just a superhero scoop. But he talks su- about superhero scoops. He dresses about superhero scoops. <laughs> He's got true. merch on his desk. Play like, <laughs> dress like Wayne. Play like, uh, <laughs> play like Stark. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. Um, and he's here because in honor of the Wolverine podcast and Black Panther's success. And, a and few other um, yeah, the ever-spinning, increasing reliance that theatrical film business has on comic books. It's kind of funny that we have, uh, are we up to 10 shows? Um, yeah, we're at like 12 shows. We're at 12 shows. It's, it's interesting that we haven't gotten here yet because this is pretty much all the theatrical film business will be in. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. nine-tenths of movies are comic book movies. Exactly. But we're trying to kind of advocate for little projects and exactly. people who are breaking in, which usually doesn't mean another Avengers movie. Right. And it should be said that now the, that our business is facing the same same dilemma, um, that or not dilemma, but the same set of challenges. The next 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe will probably be a lot different than the first 10 years looked like, and stuff like New Mutants, and, you know, there's so many people are pivoting, did yeah. I pop my pee just now, are pivoting to smaller stories that might, that might be a little bit more interesting. Yes, because we are now in the IP event business, which yes. is what the superhero business is. <laughs> what does that mean, the IP event business? Intellectual property events, like comic books, uh, video games, like Tomb Raider opened this weekend is a very mm-hmm. celebrated IP, intellectual property owned by Square Enix, which they exploited in video games for the last 20 years, and a movie to come along with it this Friday, which was really good. I enjoyed it the other night. Nice. Do you guys all think that Angelina is going to see that? Angelina Jolie, this other person. I can I, see her going. I can see her, like, with the kids. I think she's going to go because we went to Cambodia on our honeymoon. Um, the missus and you I. You and I? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, you, yeah just said, so you just weed me. So when, we started, when we started the podcast, we <laughs> held a honeymoon and we went together to, to Cambodia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> um, and they filmed one of the... The famous, the, the infamous Tomb Raider Temple, as they now call it, even in Cambodia, which shows you how far Hollywood's reach goes maybe that's just for the benefit of us yeah. tourists um our ceo calls it america's soft power okay all right which is legit uh, basically when you travel abroad the locals just tell you the names of things as you know them so cool. they're like so like when you go to kenya sometimes people go like oh yeah that's a simba <gasps> idiot oh yeah they're that's... like we know you're not going to learn the actual word that's condescending <laughs> and adorable <laughs> yeah. so when you go to when you go to cambodia they're like oh yeah that's the tomb raider temple because of the temple with all the amazing trees growing over it yeah. um and so i think angelina is so into cambodia 
given that one of her children is from there. She's a citizen. Uh, is she really? She tried to submit. She was a, she was eligible to submit her film for Best Foreign Language Oscar film because she carries a citizenship to Cambodia. That's rad. Well, Cambodia is savvy as fuck. Cambodia is one of the best places we've ever been, and everyone should go. And I think she'll go just to see yeah. some Cambodian sights. I think she'll probably shade it once or twice and be like, oh, well. You know, I had to be an action hero for mine. She just gets to use a bow and arrow. But I think she'll watch it and she'll be like, good for you. Oh, no. She, she's Buckingham. quite the action hero in this one. In my Alicia? opinion, yeah. Alicia did a much better job than Angelina. Yeah, what? Did... Oh, yeah. Ooh, wow. shots yeah. Oh, yeah. fired. Basically, the last two that Angelina did were pretty much campy. Yeah. This one is a little bit grounded, more in reality, a little yeah. bit more... John Voight played her father in the first one. All three were campy. I'm very sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there were three? I thought there were two. I thought there were, there were two. two. Yeah, two made one and two. two. Well, the first one was campy anyway. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then, I, by the way, I love that in, the, in them she's British. Like, I feel like if they were going to change anything for Angelina, it'd be the accent. But she's like, no, I can do it. <laughs> one of the shadiest things I've ever done as a reporter is I went to this Fox party when John Voight was on 24. And some editor had told me that I had to get a quote about, I think it was Angelina's new adoptee or something. And so I kept trying to steer the conversation with John Voight to Angelina. <laughs> and then he caught on to it really fast. There was like three questions. He's like, yeah, so anyway, 24 is going to be really good. This and then he was just like, it's like one of the old times somebody's just been like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> oh, no. Not that directly, but like oh, pretty clearly. He got, I got, I remember being years ago, and I was working in the LA Times going to one of, the, I think it was a Smurfs movie that he was a voice in. And there was an ET crew that was not American Entertainment Tonight. I think it was either. I don't want to defame anybody. So it was an international crew. And they conducted the nicest five-minute interview with him. And then his last question was like, well, where are your grandkids? And this is when he wasn't talking to Angelina. And there was a big, like, and he just looked at her like, what, what in the world would possess you? Yeah. To, I just was like, oh, that's so demoralizing. Was I that ET? But now bumper? that we're talking about, it was you. <laughs> it, was, it was Tim Malloy. Um, but now that we're done talking about custody battles... Yeah. Let's go back to comic books. There was no custody battle, by the way. Everything was... What do you mean? Oh, sorry. Battle? I mean, like, visitation. A then. Adopting children. John Voight was not allowed to see his grandchildren for a while. Is that custody, though, or is that, like, grandchild? I, I've raised it wrong. The one you cut it out in post, genius. I don't like cutting Tim knows everything, and I know nothing. Oh, now, Tim, why don't we tell the people what we do on this podcast? Okay. Wow, that would have been a good thing to do four minutes ago. Sure, I apologize. in the beginning, yeah. It's my fault. This is the podcast where this we This movie about. doesn't start at the beginning. <laughs> It's Pulp Fiction! <laughs> this is the podcast where we talk about stories that we want turned into movies. And as we mentioned, we'd like to see some little-known comic book properties turned into movies. Yes. Um, and particularly um, talking about... And by the way, as Umberto taught us, that, that just because it's not as well-known doesn't mean that, that a comic book property isn't significant intellectual property with a massive outreach to fans. It's just not as splashy or or ordained as something like Marvel is in our culture because they're not, you know, popularity shouldn't be just by what you see at the multiplex. Right. Um, as we will prove to you in this, in this cause one of the, cause my comic adaptation that I'm bringing to the table, I think is a massively beloved mm -hmm. franchise. And massively overlooked. It's yes. like hiding in plain sight. But I won't start cause I am the, not, I'm not the one who knows what they're talking about when it comes to this stuff. Let's have Umberto start. Yeah, totally. So I pick, uh, I like ninja stories. I've always yeah. you know, I grew up on Snake Eyes, um, ninja movies of the 80s and stuff. Yeah. So there's currently a really awesome comic book by a publisher that just got sold and got their first movie. They're getting their first movie made. Mazel Tov. called uh, Bloodshot. It's a little character named Ninjak. Basically, the premise is what if James Bond was not only a member of my six, but received his training in Japan as a ninja. Hey, no. so, mm -hmm. center, so the there's a... 
it's been a series that's been ongoing, but they have a new book now called Ninja K. So basically our hero, Colin King, it's pretty much a ripoff of the first Commando movie. Like some former ninja from this Ninja K program is killing off all the other ninja operators. You had me at rip off of Commando movie. There you go, yeah. So the structure, yeah, the struck the first five you issues. You have me at James Bond is also a ninja, because to me that's like that's like a manifestation of that old spice commercial where the guy can just do everything. Yeah, so basically we're up to issue four. It's a five issue I mean the, the storyline's five issues and it'll conclude next month, but in issue four Ninjack runs into a Foxy Brown ninja from the seventies who's now retired and living with her lesbian lover from Russia who she used to battle with in the 70s. And this movie is inclusive if it was made? That's wow. amazing. Yes. That's inclusion awesome. Inclusion is female empowerment. Uh, LGBT spectrum, yes. women of color. It's, 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 it's out there, but it, the action is awesome. So, so And gonna, by the way, so Sony's not making this story though. No, unfortunately not. But I, I have a fondness for it because I love spy yeah. stories. Right. So it's really cool. Like Valiant uh, launched like more than 20 years ago. Then mm. they went under. Then they got bought. And then they came back to prominence. Now they got bought again. Looks like the uh, tw- looks like history might repeat itself. So, basically, yeah. This but this Ninja K. It's one of the better books that I've read. Like I try to read when I have time. Like yeah. I run into our fearless editor at a comic book store at Meltdown. Is that true? That did happen. So, Shout out to Meltdown. I see you at the grocery store. <laughs> I'm everywhere. <laughs> Reading comic books, buying cottage cheese. So basically... Yes. Letting Bugsy, your dog, stand in the middle of the aisle while we talk so people have to go around him and make passive-aggressive noises at us. You know, can I say something? Gelson's sure. is really not happy about the dog coming in there. The I comic know. book store loves him. I started going to Whole Foods at Santa Monica and Fairfax because every recipe I read now that you should meal prep has dark meat ground turkey in it, yeah. and the only place I can find it is at Whole Foods, and there are dogs all up yeah, in there. Yeah, it's weird. Like, Sorry, I'm Like, yesterday, I saw too many dogs at Gelson's, and if I think there's too many dogs there, there's too then many there dogs there. there are way too many dogs. Um, but, gotta give it up for Meltdown. They are so nice to them, and they also give a 10% discount for anyone who brings a pet in. What? It's pretty sweet. So, Umberto, next time, next time we go there, you should bring an animal. Yeah, yeah. Should, if you let me borrow uh, Bugsy, Bugsy, your little guy, you know, <laughs> yeah, they give a discount. But yeah, Ninja K, the Ninja K program, Valiant. It's out on stands now up to issue four. It concludes next okay. month, and then uh, we'll see. So it's like I'd love to see a James Bond ninja movie one day. Totally. So awesome. well, the other thing we do here, aside from offering up what we think should be adapted, is we dreamcast it. So who is your dream Ninja K? Who would play? Who could play the part? Colin King. Um, Colin King. Let me think. I would think like the safe choices like Charlie Hunnam. Oh yes! Oh, we're you still giving him chances. I love you, Charlie. Oh, I'm just kidding. Charlie Hunnam's the best. King Arthur was a staggering. I had a fun time watching. Who's young, British, blue-eyed, dark-haired? Taron Egerton, but he's short. He's damn short, but he's adorable. Okay. And we know he can. He's got moves from Kingsman. I'm not cutting yes. that out. I'm That's actually a good choice. Short. That is a great choice. A great Those movies choice. are fun. You know what? I didn't call him short. He is short, Tim. Okay. <laughs> you know, I always my my lady friend has a bit of a crush on Mr. Hunnam. So I'm always wife. telling her stories about... Yeah, she is my wife. That's right. <laughs> I already established that we're married. Um, sorry. But I'm always telling her false stories about Charlie Hunnam. Like, yeah, Charlie Hunnam, her, Charlie Hunnam came into the office today. <laughs> Bad acne. Yeah, Charlie uh-huh. Hunnam. His lifts were really good. He was almost yeah, five foot six. Yeah. yeah. Just like on lies. every movie, he has to wear the Wahlberg stunt penis. <laughs> <laughs> no, very handsome man. Oh, Hunnam is a great choice, but he's very bulky. Can he move as a ninja when he's that jacked? He's a big guy. Who? 
Charlie? Hanem, yeah. Oh, Ninja. I mean, there's a there's a digital version mm-hmm. like Ninja Ninja Ninjak vs. the Valiant Universe that's coming yeah. out any day now. But he and this guy's padded with like armor and stuff. Gotcha. So he would be bulked up anyway. But gotcha. it's usually a yeah. So whoever's lean, wiry, British, young, blue eyed, right. dark haired could be. Common. And what about our amazing Foxy Brown esque? 70s lesbian ninja who should that be i mean there's i mean it could be anybody but deny at this point i was about to say like, wow. <laughs> but deny guerrera who plays okoye, okoye yeah. in black panther that's probably too close to her actual role and you don't want to you don't want to don draper her right where when she like with john ham breaks huh. out as, as don draper and then every other script he gets Lupita. is a guy in a coat and a cigarette so who could be an unlikely choice for that role I want Lupita to be in every movie, so I, I got to go with that. What about like, I don't know, Viola? Viola Davis? Yeah. I know yeah, she's I love older. it. I know she's older, but like, I, I don't know. No, but she's a swinging 70s. She is. She's so it could be a very 70s style. 70s yeah. sword like where, where everything is just a platform shoe kick. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would be amazing. Awesome. <laughs> young like, Pam you don't want to mess with it. <laughs> a young Pam Greer. What's cool about I'm Pam pretty, Greer? Cool current about, Pam Greer, hire her. What's cool about the Ninja K program that they're teaching their agents is that they they develop methods to slow the aging process. It's like, ooh, I signed up just ooh, to learn that. Uh, yeah. Okay. The dark arts. This sounds amazing. It is. <laughs> I'm super into it. All right. Uh, any director in mind? Any writer? <sighs> Gareth Evans. I love, okay. I love the guy what he did with the raid, and it's, since it's a sword fight in, in close quarters combat movie, I God, think, give him a, a little budget, he do wonders with this. It never ceases to me amaze to amaze me the staying power that a movie like the raid has, and the consciousness of people who work in Hollywood. People talk about it all the time because the execution for what they spent on it is yeah. outright amazing. Right. The and choreography, isn't the second one even more impressive. The choreography spawned the latest movement in action choreography in movies today. Basically, yeah. eighty-seven eleven. The guy, those two guys are now big-time directors. Right. David Leach is doing Deadpool too. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, David Leach, yeah, mm. our, our Leech. friend from Atomic Blonde, starring Queen Charlize Theron. Hmm. There you go. That's yeah. a great idea. Mm. All right, I'm down. All right, I'm in. I'm down. I'm for sold. That. Sold. Let's here's, make it. Here's, here's my twenty-seven dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine comes from one of the first comic books I ever read when I was about Ooh. nine years old. It's when Marvel was just handing out limited series, and one of the great limited <laughs> series they did was called Beauty and the Beast. It was written by Anne Nascenti, who I, I, I didn't realize until today that Anne Nascenti, that it was written by Anne Nascenti, <laughs> who also had a really good run on Daredevil and was one of my favorite writers because of that. She's one of the few female writers around that time who was really, really high profile, doing really interesting, difficult things. Um, Storylines about things like child abuse. She invented Typhoid Mary, who Daredevil fans will recognize. Oh, God. Um, She's just, and she was writing Wait, like... Wait, that's an actual character? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that, that... All right, it's not worth telling the story, but that's, that's a reference in the drag culture that I thought it originated from drag. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Anna Sandy was totally aware of it because okay. she was, I'm going to use that word, yeah. I really don't like, yeah. woke... She was a woke 80s lady. Woke um, 80s ladies. <laughs> yeah, there were a few comic ladies. Clicking comic on floors. Like Louise Simonson was a hot one. Oh, Louise was incredible. Yes. Yeah, she wrote Power Pack, a comic book that I like and you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I am not, not the swing cup, vote. Not I am not the though. swing <laughs> vote. Um, but yeah, so Anna Sinti was a really big was a really big deal and what she she did some things that people didn't really get on board with. A lot of like guy fans don't particularly like her because she for one did not like action scenes. 
Mm. Um, she talked about how action scenes were kind of a tumor on comic books. How she wanted to focus more on oh. characters, and she wanted to focus on um, really moral dilemmas more than on mm. more than on you know fisticuffs. Um, Beauty and the Beast. What appealed to me is I was probably nine years old, and it was like a strange, dark, kind of sexual comic. And like even looking back at it now, it's kind of like weirdly sexual BDSM-y. Um, very confusing stuff for a nine-year-old. Um, but it featured Beast, who we all know very well. He was played mm-hmm. by Kelsey Glam, Ga- Kelsey Beast. Kelsey, what's his name? Grammar. Grammar. Um, in one X Men movie, he was played by uh, Nicholas Holt in the latest ones. Did I say that right? Yes. Did. Why just, are you laughing at me? You think about Kelsey Grammer as an action hero? I know. <laughs> There's also like a really amazing SNL parody of Real Housewives. That it's the Real Housewives of Disney. So every nice. princess is like a is like a busted. And Belle in that parody is like, "Well, your husband's a beast," and she goes, "His name is Kelsey Grammer." Um, so that's wow. what I think about every time I hear it. So. Wow. So there's a little gay injection for this whole story. <laughs> well, things are about to get a little bit gayer, Matt, because we've got the Beast, and then we've got Dazzler, who is at that point a character who Marvel doesn't have any idea what Why to do with. Why is that gay? That's the straightest name I've ever heard, Dazzler. Well, hang on. I'll tell you. In around 1980, Marvel decided that they were going to cash in on the, di- on the disco trend by collaborating with Casablanca Records to create a disco superhero. Oh, my God. Amazing. Um, disco, of course, is... Although it was later taken over by, you know, white Italians and an Australian lady, Olivia Newton-John, um, it is a really black gay movement in the, at its peak. Exactly. Um, and, like, literally not packaged, an organic... Organically, before yes, it gets ripped yeah. off by Travolta yeah. and all that stuff. Totally. Um, ruins everything. It ruins everything. So, um, Dazzler comes out in 1980 just as disco is dying. The original plan was for her to be like a cool Grace Jones type lady, African-American disco performer in the vein of maybe, um, oh God. Donna Summer. Donna Summer, Evelyn Charlie. Queen of disco? No matter what anybody tells you, it's Donna Summer? Sure. Absolutely. Um, But at the last minute, somebody says, you know what? We want to be more like Bo Derek. So now she's like a blonde lady and Dazzler ends up being this very, you know, extremely white, extremely conventionally Playboy magazine, attractive Uh 80s woman. All right. So Marvel has no idea what to do with her. After four years, she kind of has no idea what to do with herself because in one of the first Marvel storylines to really closely parallel gay culture, she outs herself as a mutant, which ruins her show business career. So around 1984, she's living in kind of like rundown Hollywood. Think Boogie Nights at the part where Marky Mark is giving sexual favors in pickup trucks. Um, very depressing time. I wouldn't time. say he's giving them. <laughs> he's, say he's, he's hardcore selling, selling them. Selling them. <laughs> right. he's, he's a generous guy. Performing he wants to give them. them. Yeah, exactly. Here, this is this for you. So Dazzler's in the midst, whose real name is Allison Blair. Dazzler's in the midst of having undergone a series of Harvey Weinstein-esque house and couch experiences. Oh, boy. Things are really bad in her career when this guy, this very handsome dude, Alexander Flynn, approaches her, um, offering her a mysterious job in showbiz. Here begins Anna Senti's Beauty and the Beast. Um, this job in showbiz turns out to be fighting in gladiator pits with other mutants, other freaks. And I see here kind of a parallel with porn. It's like you move to Hollywood to become a real uh, successful actor. And then they say, well, you don't have that job, but we do have this other job. Yeah. And it's kind of a little grotesque what you're going to have to do. Everything's above the clothes. 
uh, but it's not. And Until... also, a bunch of rich people are going to watch you do it. Um, the Beast tries to save her and falls in love with her at the time. Ira Madison III has talked about Dazzler being a gay icon. Um, he links it largely to her affiliation with the disco movement. I think she may be more of a gay icon. I don't know, but from my reading of others' reading, because she's one of the first heroes to come out. Um, interesting. Not yeah. as gay, but as a mutant. That's, That's also incredibly empowering. It's really interesting. And also the, the ways that she suffers because of coming out. I mean, her dreams are really destroyed. Um, the Beast, a fellow mutant, tries to help her. And then we learn something interesting about Alexander Flynn, the guy who runs this mutant pit. He is the secret, illegitimate son of Dr. Doom. And at this oh. point, I should include a couple of footnotes. Uh, first, Ann Landers saying that there are no illegitimate children. There are only illegitimate parents. <laughs> um, and second, Dr. Doom, of course, is the most badass supervillain in the Marvel Universe um, and is not happy to find out that his illegitimate son is out carrying is carrying on a mutant fighting pit in Hollywood. Not good for the Doom name. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I want to see this fight between Beast, played by Nicholas Holt, uh, Dazzler, and Doctor Doom. And for casting, in the spirit of taking Dazzler back to her roots, back to her Grace Jones-inspired roots, I think we make her an African-American performer again. Yeah. Um, And the person I think would be best to play this role in terms of age, in terms of dazzlingness, uh, Dazzler is known for having an actual glow. She actually glows oh. when she's powered up. We should talk about her powers, by the way. She turns sound into light. Okay, which is a really interesting and more like um, metaphysical kind of thing for comics. Like in the way that, like, how do they describe Doctor Strange? Science means magic, or I don't know something. Something like the more magical, mystical yeah. realms of like that to me is like it's the Kabbalah of the superheroes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like I turn sound into light, and also DJ Khaled's on the remix. Like you know what I mean? Like, well, I think they wanted it to be a power that could embolden her as a disco performer. So the louder the music gets, the more brightly she shines, and she can do amazing laser light shows. You know what? The same thing has been said of me. If we have tequila. It's that is <laughs> the obvious parallel, Dazzler and Matt Donnelly. I mean, who's I, the cast? Who's the cast? Janelle Monet. Yes. Ooh, applause. I think oh she'd be God. great. I think yes. you should drop in a like a like an AM radio applause sound by <laughs> like a sound drop as soon as I as soon as I say that. For the handsome son of Doctor Doom, I like John Hamm. I just think John sure. Hamm is good. Sure. Because um, he can grow into the next generation of Doom. Yeah. Yeah. And for the director, I don't know. I have no idea. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Director, so it's a story about... Look, this, this 1980s... About, wait, what about Barry? Oh, my God! That would be Jenkins. incredible. Yeah. That would be the best thing ever. He's worked with Janelle before, so they have a shorthand. Wow. Um, he's a big music guy. Yeah. Yeah. And also... I'm he's, sure he's, he's been to or has seen Kelsey Grammer before. <laughs> he's, he's been... He's done period been movies before, period. and this movie would take place in the 80s. Yeah, I'm all about it. Scored by Giorgio Moroder, who's still Oh, my God. Who's still scoring. That would be spectacular. I would love that movie so much. Oh, I should also add a footnote. Um, Sophie Turner has fueled rumors that Taylor Swift may play Dazzler in the next X-Men movie. That would be a bad idea. Awful. But Sophie posted an image on Instagram of her character and Cyclops, her character Jean Grey and Cyclops at a record store. I'm looking at a Dazzler album. That's awesome. And the Dazzler, and and it says, this is our favorite artist pre-1989, of course. 
1989, of course, is the name of a Taylor Swift album. Oh. But again, terrible idea. Awful idea. If you think that she should be in anything, I, I implore you to look up Taylor Swift's SNL appearance <laughs> and watch the oxygen get sucked the fuck out of your room. Um, but, so, what's your idea, Matt? Oh, <laughs> speaking of whimsical childhood wonder. It, sound, it no. sounds like Taylor Swift's like publicist was off to the side going like, no, no. <laughs> um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stretch. No, I'm not going to stretch the meaning of comic book. More like comic strip, but there are many collections. When I was a kid, my like, beloved, my only real uh, exposure to um, comics uh, or the funny, except from like I used to read Disney Adventures magazine. Um, when I was a kid, but I got that's how I think I got a sense of publishing. I'm like, who makes this? And who's the editor of it? Because I want to be it when I was like seven. Um, I'm like, those crossword puzzles are lame. Did you read Hot Dog or Dynamite? No. Did you read those, Umberto? Also, like, I'm not kidding you. When I was like nine, I like tried to read GQ. I had no oh. idea what was going on in them, but I'm like, yeah. So really, <laughs> Empire. When I was, like, when I was like seven, there was there were two magazines for kids, and one was Hot Dog. Actually, there was Hot Dog, there was Boys Dynamite, Life. and there was Boys Life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boys Life, I've heard. Of. And then, um, what's the one in the doctor's offices? Adventures for kids. Is that what it's called? Oh, highlights. Highlights for yeah, kids. Highlights that was comic-ish. Anyway, what I'm talking about is a massive American treasure called Calvin and Hobbes, which is a comic strip. There are there are a series of books and collections. Bill Waterson, Waterston. Okay, Waterson um, is the creator, and it is about a precocious, sarcastic, um, frustrated young man named Calvin who's a troublemaker and he's got some really big ideas and his best friend is his stuffed animal Hobbes who is a an inanimate object um, whenever an adult's in a room but when he's gone Hobbes is a real life tiger who usually is the voice of reason in their dynamic but he still has his own foibles and imperfections like for instance he thinks he's a real tiger he's really proud of being a tiger and thinks that humans are totally lame um, and like they always in situations where he's like oh you better watch out for me Calvin I'm a tiger he's like you, you don't have that much heart like you're, you're not going to yeah. attack anybody um, but they are this beautiful I think the entire thing really is about how um, Calvin obviously projects a lot of a, of a more adult personality onto the animal stuffed animal so he doesn't have to inhabit that and he can live inside of his uh, you know sort of little boy world and uh, be right about stuff. Uh, the character of Calvin also reminds me about this great John Mulaney joke, how John thinks that he is gay, but like right before they were going to let him out of, like the angels let him out of heaven and to be born, like they just didn't tick that last box. And he's like, um, he's like, well, all little boys are kind of gay because they're flowy and they have strong opinions about things. And that is Calvin. Calvin is like a flowy over the top, but like really um, intense and sometimes melancholy uh, little boy who is frustrated that the world doesn't work the way he wants it to. Um, and there's a lot of, they, I mean, they do a lot of stuff in this comic. He travels space, he's a pirate, oh, he's yeah. a tinkerer. Oh, it's with, awesome. It's yeah. Awesome. So I, I love amazing. it. In this, I used to read the comic strip as well. Yeah. You know, so. And uh, oh. no, it, it, I would read it with Family Circus or the Common House. Yeah. It was a massive hit. I'm, and I'm curious, why made it? Well, well Tim told me this, and I, I had to scratch the surface, but Bill Watterson had absolutely no desire to, to license it for adaptation. And he actually doesn't really have a big run of toys. And I, it makes sense to me because when I, was, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with it. And I remember on a sick day once, my mom called out of work as well, and she and I went to Center City, Philadelphia, and had the most magical day. I think I was very young. I might have been like six or seven, and we tried to find a Hobbs doll, and every store was like, no, so we eventually had to find a tiger. 
and we found it on a cart in front of the Philadelphia Zoo. And we were both like, this is lame. Like, we were, like, hoping to go into, like, the Target or, like, whatever the department store was, get it, and, like, kick it in the movies and have lunch. But we were at store after store after store after store all day. And we finally, anyway. Can I tell you some crazy shit that that just triggered? Yeah. yeah. This is going to get real personal. Okay. Okay. When oh, I no. was, like, oh, no. eight years old, <laughs> I, had candy this, I had this terrible thing called testicular torsion, which what? is not something that should happen to an eight-year-old. Or anyone, but it's basically like when a testicle twists horribly, and oh I, I don't, God. I don't know what happened or like what I did because I didn't do anything. It's very but it personal. just happened. Yeah, it's really personal. But I appreciate so it. They took me to the emergency room because like I didn't yeah, tell anybody about this because I'm eight years old. Yeah. So of course I didn't tell anyone. Oh, no. And then after like three days, I'm like, all right, this hurts more than anything ever. This is so painful. I can barely listen so to it. So it's so painful, and everything's like red and like oh. way bigger than it should be and messed up, and um. So they take me to the doctor, and then afterwards, because I was at that weird point in childhood, they took me to a store and got me a teddy bear, which is what the Calvin and Hobbes thing made me think of, looking yeah. for Hobbes, yeah. uh, and then took me to the comic book store, where I bought a really good issue from the Dark Phoenix saga, <laughs> which is the saga which introduced, yes, Dazzler. Oh! And my testicles are fine. Whoa. They're fine now. Um, the share, the Shoot This Now podcast is in a, a shared universe of films. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Calvin... This. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. No, I remember when Calvin was... You know, there's a, there's a, there's a meme of the kid peeing on something. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. use that, like, the alt-right appropriated... And, oh, totally. Do you remember... Um, yeah. I remember being on... And, uh, especially when we were, and Marge and I are both the East Coast guys, and so are you, Tim, kind of. But there used to be a bumper sticker yeah. on minivans, and like Calvin's urine would go splash on like a, a football team's logo that the car owner didn't yes. like, right. or like or a rival school. It was always Chevy yeah. and Ford. That was um, that was an analog meme before it was. A that was a total analog meme, meme. and yeah. also it wasn't officially Calvin. Like, <laughs> no, because it like, was like nebulous like blonde, well, yeah, nebulous like, blonde kid. Yeah, because nobody would like release. Like when I went yeah. to UC Santa Barbara, there were always Calvin, Calvin and Hobb T-shirts the fraternities really? would make, and of course they were totally illegal because Watterson is like, back when I was a kid, there was such a thing as not being a sellout, and he was like <laughs> the epitome of not being a sellout. He was like, I do not want people using this for anything other than its intended purpose, which is entertaining people in newspaper strips, and occasionally books, coffee table wow. books. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or maybe you, maybe like you'd have a far side desk calendar. Yeah, a tear away a day situation. God, things used to be so different. The only thing that makes me nervous about a Calvin and Hobbes movie, which I agree, like I, I would go into that movie yeah. crying and come out crying, is do we trust anyone to make these types of yeah. adaptations? And Ooh, also, question. I think that the power of Calvin is that those those narratives, even if sometimes I'm trying to remember, I, I have the books at my my house and my parents house built up but I'm trying to think of like the longest story they might have told might have been a page or two but they would impart like any comic strip in the newspaper would impart such a really focused narrative that could be completely poignant or so hilarious yeah. and then they stick and move then it's over yeah. um, so the idea that it could even be a feature length is you'd have to have this incredible really A-list beyond uh, passionate writing because yeah. I, I think that it, it should exist, and, and I think there's something really special about having only four or five frames of Calvin yeah. to really symbolize something for you personally. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a two-hour movie. Yeah. But if it was, I'll tell you who I'd cast. Franchises, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or I can't, four, I can't believe like quadrant franchise. I feel like I feel like after this, Ted Sarandos is going to hear this and be like, "Get Watterson on the phone. Here's fifty million dollars." Yeah, I'm really worried about like 
ruining the purity of those beautiful <laughs> pen and ink strips. Yeah. And because they're, they're, I mean, if no one's mined them yet, they're coming. Because, I mean, if he dies, God, God hope he will not. What's the way you say By that? The way, there's a documentary I mean, about him in 2013 that we should all watch. Oh, I think, I think it's called Thank You, Mr. Waters. Oh, great. Really? Yeah. Check that out. I, yeah. I'm very worried about who owns those rights. I don't want there to be like a Martin Luther King speech in a Ram ad, in a Ram ad type situation <laughs> oh, no. during the Super Bowl. Uh, Pepsi, Kendall Jenner. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like the day Bill Waterson passes from oh, this earth, no. we suddenly have like Calvin actually yeah. pissing on a Ford. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, if, I'll, just, I'll just remind everybody of the movie Garfield. And the uh, the chipmunks films, and, <laughs> <laughs> and advise that these things can go badly. No squeakles. <laughs> um, but here's if it had to be a movie, here's and I here's why I would cast. Um, hands down, the hands down the performance I have been obsessed with. I truly think the most this year. It's only March. It's about a little kid, lovely young man named Derek McCabe, who plays Charles Wallace Murray in Ava DuVernay's Wrinkle in Time. And here's why. He's awesome. I know the movie's had mixed reviews, but Charles Wallace is a genius, child, savage stunt queen <laughs> slash king who is so smart and is like kind of like almost like a yenta in the film. Like his sister is kind of a mess and he kind of gets it. He's like a total prodigy and he's like seven or eight. He's in first grade. And like, uh, just to give you an example, like he overhears two, his father's disappeared. His father, the scientist who's played by Chris Pine has disappeared for years and he overhears two teachers like, oh, that, pro- that guy probably ran away with a mistress or something like that and then he gets up and he's like, shame on you two with your limited potential. Like, basically like, oh, like you two teachers are going to hate on my scientist dad. Um, wow. So he's really intuitive. So he's very, what? <laughs> Rough time for teachers in America. <laughs> Whatever, it's fine. That kid's a prodigy. Um, he's a pro- but he's just so, I mean, he's, I think he himself is only 10, but he, he stole the movie. He, has, he stole the movie. He has such an amazing um, propensity to deliver a lot of dialogue because I feel like sometimes mm. kids, you can tell when you, they're only good for a sentence or two yeah. and maybe one scene or in one blocking. Yeah. He's incredibly smart. Um, I'll also say, for what it's worth, he's Filipino-American. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe not the Calvin that was drawn, but he's the Calvin we deserve and that yes. we would need. Um, and I think he's amazing. Um, and then... Hobbes is a more of a bit of a nobler, knowledgeable voice of reason most of the time. He's actually based on the philosopher Thomas Hobbes, mm-hmm. who I think was actually quite melancholy, didn't have a lot of faith in humanity toward the end there. Mm-hmm. But I thought there are a couple ways you can go with Hobbes. Number one, a movie star with a reassuring voice who probably has some stuff to make up to us. So I'd say Matt Damon, because oh, nice. you should be doing everything you can to, to make diverse and inclusive projects. Matt Damon, which you kind of are, so it's fine. Oh, he has um, the if not, he has the inclusion writer. He does have the inclusion writer, as encouraged by Francis McDormand. Um, I was thinking to uh, Ryan Reynolds because Ryan Reynolds is oh, in a, an animation phase of his life, and a sassy tiger would be fun too. <laughs> Um, and then I thought, if not, let's just make a full left turn and go Morgan Freeman. Oh <laughs> I got one for you. Well, hello, Calvin. I got a, a Hobbes for you. <laughs> Why is it like right while we've got him, you I better put him in stuff. I love yeah. that idea. Bill Murray. Oh, Bill Murray. And Bill Murray could redeem himself for Garfield. Does he? I don't. I don't trust him after Garfield. No, but you know what he said about that movie, right? That he did it because he thought. Can that the Coens, the, apparently a directing team named Cohen did the Garfield movie and he thought it was Joel and Ethan. One of them was named Cohen and he thought, yeah, he thought it was a Cohen brother. Yeah, yeah that's what happens when you're Bill Murray and you don't read your email. He's like, yes, I'll do it. When does it start? I, yeah, Bill I Murray feel like it might be affiliated too much with, right, with Garfield. 
Then who? Who for you, Tim? I thought of another Wes Anderson alum. Huh. Um, who Tilda could do Hobbs? <laughs> no, Tilda would, would oh, do, want to do Hobbs, wow. but would want to play, physically play. Would actually, like well, get in a tiger suit. I thought of a human Hobbs, and I kind of <laughs> thought, did? I kind of thought of McConaughey, but then I also <laughs> thought of Owen Wilson. Ooh. Not, wait. That would be awesome. To voice or to voice. get in the suit? I, just Owen Wilson doing his I whole. I feel like. I feel like because Matthew McConaughey has three kids, I feel like one day he would call like, Daddy like someone at someone at like a studio executive. He'd be like Toby Emmerich. Like I, I can't tell <laughs> McConaughey, but he'd be like Toby, I got this idea, man. I'm Hobbs. We don't do nothing but special effects. We're just Hobbs. And he's like, well, it's a tiger. Nope, no makeup. No makeup. I can do it. I can do it, Toby. Um, or you could yeah. do Matt Damon as. As McConaughey doing Matt Damon as uh, McConaughey would be fantastic. Because he, have you seen? Do, I have, have seen, seen his, his imitation Ma- of do, McCon- I McConaughey. I have. I think it's on Ellen, right? And it's he, genius. He does this thing where he's like, I, I think for this part, I should, I should take my shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, isn't there something with a jury trial about that? I, I have to go back and see the story again, but it's this amazing. Um, but yeah, I think that that would crush. And uh, otherwise, you have to like. No, but Derek McCabe is. Uh, please, everyone, just go look him up. He's amazing. Cool. And actually, all the Disney marketing dis- betrays how actually hilarious and and sort of takedownish she is of, and and how questioning he is of the adults in the world around him. And it doesn't. You can't put that in a trailer. So see the movie because he's a total star. Nice. Yes. Agreed. All right. So we've got Ninja oh K. We've got Beauty and the Beast featuring Dazzler and the Beast. We've got Calvin and Hobbes. Featuring a Matthew McConaughey as Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> no, no more questions. No more questions. Do we have anything else we need to cover this episode? I mean, I, I think that's it. I, well, El Mayimbe, why don't you, since we're talking about it, what super... Well, God, we have the mother of all them coming up, right? The superhero slate for the rest of the year is, hello... Infinity War. Infinity War, which is what this entire Marvel Cinematic Universe has been barreling towards for 10 years. And do you think it'll perform? Is it going to perform? It's going to set box office records. Just like uh, Black Panther. I mean, we should, I should be seeing it within the next 30 days. Unbelievable. So exciting. And we all pretty much know why this is going to work. Because Pepper Potts returns. So thank you, Gwyneth Paltrow, for carrying this on your muscular back. Uh, <laughs> Favorite Marvel character is Pepper Potts, by the way. She's a great character. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then what else do we have this year? We have Aquaman this year, don't we? Aquaman later this year. There's no possible Deadpool way that will be good, film. right? No, it is, actually. From really? Here. No, no, yeah. absolutely. Okay. I'm, good oh, wait, I'm hearing nothing but good things about it. I thought Deadpool I trust James Wan. It's, yeah, it's yeah, a guy yeah. who talks to fish. That's they, all. But they promise, and also I think they promise that they're not that the characters aren't going to speak inside those oxygen bubbles that were in Justice, uh, League, Justice yeah. League. Can you talk like Merman from the He-Man show? He's like, oh. I am Aquaman. Hello. <laughs> I know we've already seen Justice League. I know he doesn't talk like that. Um, and then what else? Deadpool. Deadpool. That's not until February though, isn't it? Q1 of next year. What? Deadpool. No, Deadpool's in June. Deadpool too. Oh, and speaking of the power of IP, like wasn't nobody checking for Deadpool until Deadpool came out, and then that blew the doors off. Exactly. So you hear us, McConaughey, you get this Calvin and Hobbes movie made. Kidding, Rob Liefeld (laughs) did a deal with Netflix because of the success of that movie. Sold this whole extreme catalog for like seven figures. Wow. Bless him. Wow. Yeah. Everybody. Netflix is now in the IP event rating business, taking comic creators, throwing a bunch of money at them, and uh, trying to make. Uh, TV shows or uh, apparently their Voltron show is really good I'm, hmm. I'm still in the first season so I gotta check that out but uh, we'll see wow well I guess we'll see in the funny pages <laughs> isn't that a thing that people used to say no 
I think that was a great. Well, you, you can't find us in a newspaper because what's a newspaper? But you can find Shoot This Now on Spotify, on the iTunes Store. I'm trying to do some shameless. Plugs. No, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. Also, um, we should mention that Alma Yimbe is the founder and. Uh, editor of Heroic Hollywood, Hollywood technically publisher now. Publisher, because yeah. yes, cause you've he's promoted got, yourself. He's got that contract with the rap. Um, I have an executive editor over there who's doing a fine job. Yes. he's about to go. But they go. For a little while. They, they go H A M on all this coverage. So if you would like hmm. some uh, more, please go read Heroic Hollywood. Yes, get your rumors and your fanboy on over there. Thanks, you guys. Up, up, and Any away. Any closing thoughts? Any closing thoughts? I just set up, up and away. And You've had two great closings. Yeah. You know how in improv where you're supposed to like bring down the curtain? On yes, like a great and. You've had yeah. two great, great yeah. closers, and yeah. I missed them both. You know what? Can, we just, can we just like <laughs> do a Donna Summer song to outro us? Yeah. Which one do you want? A Georgia MacArthur Moreau Park or? is melting oh. in the dark. You want MacArthur Park? Sunset People. Sunset People. I actually have it. Do you really? <laughs> yes. I'm a, here's the thing. My mother, I was raised in a house that was blasting disco. And it was a precursor for me to like house music. So my mom was yeah. responsible oh, for me liking house music. Those house beats. Yeah. Yes. See, yeah. I have so much I'm in an old school New yeah. York City club kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was a Swarthmore, Pennsylvania club kid while my parents blasted the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack in my you crib. Were, you were like, Mom, what's cocaine like? <laughs> oh, my God. Is that a good outro for you, too? That's three now. That works for me. All right, Donna Summer, take it away. Summer.